1: strange not to be reaching for my coffee mug right before the show starts you know it's part of that last five second thing that i do right before we go on air at 2 p.m eastern and um i came in early today so i already finished all my coffee i'm ramia Amadin with kelly mcdonald and kelly i'm not going to ask you about your coffee habits because we talk about that way too much on the show the question for you is how often do you sleep with your
2: socks on oh i know i don't i i can't right, jump into so the get song, to know I you think. never wow my good heavens have you ever been so cold uh, that you wanted to well my dad to? was a big believer in like oh keeping your feet warm because as soon as your feet get cold the whole your whole body gets cold right whether you yes. have socks on or not that's where it comes so, from mm-hmm. um, but then it works the other way i think too right so i i'm more of a, a slippers person regardless um obviously when i go out of course sleep you know, with your socks, slippers but, no 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 no. i meant walking around (laughs) and stuff but i tend to be yeah i just tend to be that person that i'll get hot easy with slippers with socks um so yeah no no i there have
1: been several times where i tried to sleep with socks on uh camping is one of these times it was very crawl on your sleeping bag
2: and tickle your toes cold
1: Okay, no, I didn't even think of that. But, yeah, uh, nothing was getting in our tent. You know, we had all the provisions. I think that... Except the bee. (laughs) No, it was very cold. There were no bees around. Like, it was not uh, summer, summer. Yeah. It was like fall camping. It was very cold. And at nighttime, it was colder than I expected. And I was honestly trying to fall asleep and couldn't. I kept putting on more clothes and socks. was one of these pieces of items. But still, nonetheless, you fall asleep. Your temperature regulates, and then you just get hot and sweaty, right? So socks have to come off again. Uh, socks
2: can't be there. Mm-mm. How about the rest of the time? Like, are you a socks person? No. Strolling around at home?
1: In my own home, like, I don't know if you find this, but in my own home, I can sleep in more uh, uncomfortable ways or like less ideal ways because it's just the comfort of being in your own home but if you're out and sleeping at hotel rooms for example or you know uh, dorms or whatever like different trips you go on you're sleeping in different circumstances and uncomfortable beds then i feel like i'm it's just harder to fall asleep and maybe i have to put on socks or something because it's too cold
2: yeah, you know, I've, Like I said, I've always been a slippers person um, with with socks on or without, because uh, I think that started at the blind school, right? I, I always That's had to wear slippers. You'd true. never walk around somewhere like that. Mm. Gosh knows when anyone's dropped or whatever, but it just was not what you did. I mean, I'm sure some people did, not I.
1: No. Well, in places they should just turn up the heat, just solve all these problems, trying to decide whether you're <laughs> sleeping with socks on or not. Here's what's coming up on today's show We're here until 4pm Eastern time So tune in for conversations like Signs and symptoms of dementia Can we minimize our risks of getting it? We're going to talk more about it on wellness With Frances Wong
2: Young Wong joins us to uh, continue a discussion On advocating as we go Although, unlike her last story This time it doesn't end as well
1: We have our monthly Voices segment scheduled for today, and Corinne Van Dusen is joining us. She's going to talk a little bit of baseball with her and broadcasting, two of her top priorities in life. Want to talk a little groceries? I don't think we've brought up grocery wars in a while. So, Industry Minister uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne says he wishes Canadian grocers would be more forthcoming with the public about how they plan to stabilize prices.
3: Earlier this month, Champagne announced that Loblaw, Metro, Empire, Walmart, and Costco submitted plans to the federal government that included discounts, price freezes, and price-matching campaigns. He didn't divulge many details at the time, saying he wanted the grocers to compete with each other. But in an interview with the Canadian press on Monday, Champagne revealed that he wishes the grocers were willing to be more open. Sobeys, for instance, has said that it does not plan to disclose what it will be doing before launching its campaign in stores for competitive reasons. Meanwhile, a spokeswoman for Walmart has said the company plans to continue offering everyday low prices. Nizhudam Elisa, Canadian Press, Ottawa.
1: So what about this is the most concerning? Mine is, for me, it's that my money is going into all of these places. It's become kind of um, annoying to think about, you know, price matching or should I shop at Metro versus Loblaws versus this, that, and the other, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. with with options like Instacart, you're not as concerned as you used to be um, because you have all the options there for you in one hub, if you will, like an app, but... Nonetheless, I mean, all of this stuff is going on behind the scenes and uh, (laughs) out there. And then it's our money that's being fought for.
2: Yeah. Well, and they've released data saying that prices are trickling down slowly, uh, slower and slower, depending on different items, different things. But things have been so high. And I think sometimes I think we, you know, and again, we're not necessarily talking all foods or anything like that, but they're so ridiculously high now compared to other places. Yeah. Um, And I get Canada doesn't have the population. The United States does, for example, and they can do a lot more things. And even still, I'm sure if you talk to you know Americans, they'll tell you, oh, man, it's ridiculous. But we've always said that as we keep forking out money, because prices will go up and up and never, ever go down. We don't have a choice in it.
1: Like, we really don't have a choice in the matter. I mean, what are you going to do, boycott groceries? Like, this is the only way for us to get food on the table. (laughs) So obviously. So that's why it's kind of, you know, even more concerning, right? Because it's not like we're talking about um, non-essential services or products or uh, just like processes, um, you know, supply-demand here. We're talking Mm -hmm. about things that are obviously, everyday people need everyday things. And these are the people who have the power over and the
2: control over well, that. And I think our heads for so long accepted that, hey, there's a bad crop this year, this is expensive, or there's not as much of this. Or, mm-hmm. But there are things you just stop and say, why is the price high on that when it, you can make unlimited cakes pretty well or unlimited, you know, why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you stop and just say, hey, there shouldn't be a shortage.
1: We have taken for granted, though, that like these kind of um, information, this kind of information has not been transparent for a very long time. No. So now we understand that or we want to make it so that we have the right to know and transparency is being demanded upon these people. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm hmm let's take a break we're going to come back to talk ask a vet with danielle john kind and specifically about pancreatitis we want to talk about what it is uh the treatments around it and how bad it can really get for our pets so very serious conversation coming our way this is kelly and Ramia. with you and we want to encourage you to read the book of the month but that's just a teaser to the actual teaser of the book and what it is I'm going to tell you about it later it's Holly by Stephen King and we're talking a lot of spooky things throughout October so this is one of the kind of interesting um ways you can spook yourself out. Holly's getting a lot of (laughs) attention, not just because of the book, but because of the character and uh, who she is in Stephen King novels of the past. So I'm very curious because I have zero um, uh, recollection of Holly. Like I haven't read any of the series, the Mercedes series and such that she appears in, but Greg David, who recommended Holly to us, is a huge fan. So
2: we'll
1: leave that on the table for a couple more minutes until I tell you about it later on. And Kelly, I'll throw it over to you to find out what's coming up next.
2: I find series interesting too, because we don't expect really that in the same way from Stephen King, even mm-hmm. though he's done things like the Bachman books, which not a series, but similarities and so much similar writing. And people have to get, hey, man, there's not just sequel books, but a series of series, especially when you look at a detective. Uh, okay, what do we have for you now? Let's call in our veterinarian, Danielle Johnkind to join us whether they
4: provide us with companionship and income food or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us animals are vital to human health have fun with us as we learn about animal related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends
2: always love having you here Danielle once a week we get into so many different conversations it's Always fun, but today we take a little bit of a twist off of the fun because we've got to talk about something pretty serious here. It can be scary when our pets get sick, especially when we weren't expecting it to happen. Sometimes the scariest thing about an illness is the unknown. What is it? What's going to happen? Did I do something wrong to make this happen? All these questions. Information is the best way to kind of thwart these unknowns. So today, Dr. Danielle is going to talk to us about a reasonably common illness that can affect our dogs and cats. Danielle, what illness are we discussing today and what are the symptoms?
4: Well, um, we're going to talk about pancreatitis. that medicalese term, as I like to call, mm-hmm. you know, medical terminology, uh, literally sure. means it: in, inflammation of the pancreas, you know. Right. Um, and like you mentioned, it's a fairly common illness and most small animal veterinarians encounter it regularly. Um, and the symptoms of it are similar in both dogs and cats. So, you know, affected animals will sometimes refuse to eat. They're probably pretty mopey and lethargic compared to normal. And in cats, they might be hiding. Um, and a lot of the time they have vomiting and diarrhea. Okay. What causes pancreatitis? Well, we don't always get to know that. You know, um, some pets will become ill with it, and we don't really know why, as um, there seems to be no apparent cause. Um, we also know that some animals seem to be genetically predisposed to it. Um, some animals have encountered toxins that make it more likely to happen. And we know it's more likely, pardon me, to be a problem when pets are on certain medications or if they have other medical conditions. Um, In some dogs, you know, it might be related to eating things that are high in fat. And you know, we know that the pancreas is an organ that makes digestive enzymes. And so what it does is it makes them in an inactive form, you know, and then it packages up these little enzymes in protective little envelopes. And then those little envelopes are delivered to the intestine when there's food in it, and then they break open, the enzymes are released, you know, and then they transform into an active state and they digest the food. They break it down, which is what's supposed to happen. But pancreatitis results when the those enzymes are released and activated while they're still inside the pancreas. And when that happens, they, yeah, they actually start to digest the pancreas itself, which of course causes that pain and vomiting and diarrhea.
2: Wow. Wow. How, you know, when you think about it, you describe it, I was like, Oh my goodness, especially you don't think again, this attacking of the body in in one way or another itself. Um, How sick can our pets get with pancreatitis?
4: Well, that's actually really variable. You know, there there's kind of two forms of the disease. So we have the acute phase and the chronic one. Um, animals with the chronic form have this sort of ongoing low-grade inflammation in their pancreas, and that eventually, as it you know goes on over time, can lead to scarring of that organ. Um, and clients will often tell me, you know, that their pet has a sensitive stomach, you know, um, or that they can't give them anything other than their regular food or they seem to get sick a lot. Um, they also have what clients call off days, you know, that is days where they refuse to eat and might seem quieter than normal. Um, but, right. you know, they seem to go back to normal pretty pretty regularly, like pretty quickly. So people don't really pay attention to that very much. Um, sometimes they also vomit once or twice in those days and maybe get, you know, a diarrhea stool or two. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, just kind of get used to this. Oh, I'm OK. Oh, my pet's not OK. Yeah. And get used to that pattern and start to sort of assume that it's normal for their pet. Because
2: mm. um, we do that with ourselves, right? It, sure. You think, oh, I must have ate something that disagrees with me.
4: Right. That's right. You know, and, um, but of course, other times pets get the other form of the disease, acute pancreatitis, which has much more severe symptoms. So that can include severe abdominal pain, multiple episodes of vomiting and diarrhea, extreme lethargy. and in, obvi- in other words, it's like really obvious that your pet is ill. And of course, it's important to have your pet checked by your vet if they're showing these symptoms. And, you know, your vet can assess your pet, determine how serious the situation is. Um, some pets with pancreatitis can be Managed with supportive care as an outpatient, but some will actually require to be hospitalized um, with more advanced treatment. Fortunately, the milder forms of pancreatitis seem to be more common, at least that's been my experience, than Mm -hmm. the severe ones. So that's uh, not the end of the world. It's a good thing.
1: Okay. Yeah. So things can be done. That's really positive. How is pancreatitis diagnosed?
4: Well, the symptoms of it are actually very common to a bunch of other illnesses as well. So you can't just go based on the history. Um, You know, we can see the same symptoms with colitis, with... um, an animal that's eaten something that's not food related, we call that foreign body ingestion, and with inflammatory bowel disease, you know, and they all share those same symptoms. So of course, you know, the history and the physical exam, you know, will raise your vet suspicions for pancreatitis, but usually further testing will be required to be sure of the diagnosis. So, you know, often we'll do a blood test um, that might reveal evidence of infection inflammation. And um, there are pancreatic enzymes that can be tested in the blood and they're often elevated with pancreatitis Um, an abdominal ultrasound can also show changes in the pancreas that are consistent with inflammation Um, it also helps of course to rule out other causes for the symptoms Um, so ultrasounds useful for that too um, usually pancreatitis is a bit of a big-picture diagnosis. It's a combination of the history, the exam, and the testing. And, you know, then we're kind of looking to rule in or out other issues, and and then response to treatment can help us to determine that as well.
2: I wondered, if you know, if there's something that it may get mistaken for or something as a vet that you see these symptoms or the, the when it's described that you think something else usually first or is pancreatitis where often vets go thinking, okay, well, let's start ruling things out because it seems like it might be that. Is it common enough? <laughs>
4: Yep. We definitely see it quite a lot. You know, um, generally when we see a sick patient, you know, we have kind of a, a mental list in our head of, okay, this right. is what's on the list of what it could be. And then the testing, okay, the x-ray is clear. It's not a foreign body. The, ultra, the abdominal ultrasound is clear. It's not a foreign body. You know, it kind of goes down the list yeah. and kind of ruling things out. So yeah, that's really helpful.
1: Um, can we talk about treatment, Danielle?
4: Sure. So You know, treating the acute form of the disease um, relies mostly on symptomatic therapy. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have to support that animal so that they can, um, you know, um, heal themselves. So, for example, if the pet is dehydrated, you know, we'll give them some fluid therapy and that can happen with vomiting and diarrhea. Um, they're probably painful, you know, so it's really important to treat them with pain medication. Um, You know, no animal ever got better when it was in pain. So we want to make sure that we manage that because pancreatitis, we know, is very painful. Um, If the pet is vomiting a lot, you know, we will give them medication to stop the vomiting. And, you know, for most pets, you know, these measures, you know, help them and then, you know, they get better and they recover Um, They can be at home or in the hospital, depending on how much support they need. Uh, The most serious cases, of course, might need ICU care um, with treatment to manage the more serious consequences of severe disease. So, you know, those cases might need antibiotics. They might need medication to collect or correct electrolyte imbalances. And in very rare cases, even surgery to manage things like pancreatic abscesses. And, you know, managing the chronic form of the disease, you know, often involves a change in diet, um, which is hopefully going to decrease or eliminate these flare-ups that we sometimes see, those off days. Um, It often also means controlling or managing any other diseases that might be contributing to or resulting from the pancreatitis.
1: So a lot of it is just maintenance, Yeah. If we're talking about the chronic form.
4: Yeah, trying to trying to prevent those flare ups, you know, and uh, and dealing with those so that we get, you know, fewer of those and uh, keep the pet comfortable and eating and hopefully free of the vomiting and diarrhea as much as we can. Yeah.
2: So, how do other diseases play into this condition?
4: Well, we know that other. Certain other diseases are commonly seen when a pet gets pancreatitis. You know, particularly in cats. In cats, we can see what vets call triaditis. So, this is a common syndrome where a cat has some combination of pancreatitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and a condition called cholangitis, and that's just inflammation of the gallbladder and the bile duct and the channels in the liver that carry bile. So, those three conditions seem to go hand in hand. Um, all of them are, of course, related to inflammation of the digestive tract and its associated organs. So inflammation in one makes it more likely that the other two will also become inflamed in cats. And we don't really know why this happens, or at least we don't have good scientific data on a definitive cause. Um, some of these cats will respond to what we call a hypoallergenic diet so we feed them non a non uh, a, a irritating diet. Um, some will improve with medication to suppress the inflammation. And if that um, inflammation of the bile bile duct in the gallbladder is involved, antibiotics might also be needed because the gut bacteria sometimes will bypass the cat's immune defenses and track up into that system. so they may need some antibiotics to help them get rid of that infection. Another relatively common disease we see concurrently with pancreatitis is actually diabetes Mm -hmm. in both cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense why that would happen because the pancreas actually has two functions you know it makes those digestive enzymes like we talked about and it has special cells in it that make insulin and that of course um, if those cells become damaged um, then um, they don't make enough insulin and then uh, the pet can become diabetic so that's another reason why you want to get your pet seen and treated to resolve it um, and try and prevent future flare-ups you know because we're also trying to avoid damage to those insulin producing cells
1: is it a uh, possible vice versa also danielle like if the pet is already diabetic then to be mindful of pancreatitis onset
4: yeah Uh, anything, anything that, um, you know, affects the pancreas, you know, for sure. I think, you know, you should probably be on the lookout for stuff like that. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, before we go real
1: quick, is there anything we can do to prevent pancreatitis in our pets?
4: Well, I think for sure you can make sure your pets on high quality diet and don't develop some of the risk factors for inflammatory diseases, like obesity, for example. Obesity is actually considered as a chronic inflammatory disease. Um, To my knowledge, it's never actually been linked to causing pancreatitis, but it is a known risk factor for diabetes. Um, As I mentioned before, some pets are genetically predisposed to this, so talk to your vet about your pet's risk and how to reduce it. A good example is miniature schnauzers. They have a genetic predisposition to increase blood levels of fat, so they often do better with a low-fat diet and of course if your pet has any potential symptoms of the chronic form of pancreatitis uh, talk to your vet and get them checked out for that they often do better on a low-fat diet as well and hopefully if you can catch and manage the condition early you know you might just save you and your pet from a future of insulin injections that's a worthwhile goal Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) for sure thanks a lot danielle Uh, we'll talk to you next week okay Great topic, a lot of good information there. We talk to our veterinarian as she joins us every week at this time for Ask a Veterinarian.
1: And we've been discussing brain health every other week. Well, not forever, but in the last couple of times with uh, Francis Wong on our wellness segment. And we're going to continue on that trajectory. Signs and symptoms of dementia. That's the topic for today. After the break on Kelly and Ramia. back you're listening and watching kelly and remia well, i guess it's listening to and watching oh, I have to work on my grammar over here i'm Remya. other with kelly mcdonald and we're going to get right into it every other
3: week we talk wellness with francis wong hello i'm francis wong and i invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life Francis, for
1: the last two times we've chatted with you, we've talked about brain health and how some people can boost their brain capacity. Uh, We talked about things like microdosing or alternatively through diet. But what about when brain capacity decreases or declines, Uh, sometimes with age, sometimes with other things? This is what we're going to talk about today. Dementia specifically. And this includes some early warning signs. I'm very curious.
3: Thanks, Ramya. Uh, For today's discussion, I wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into dementia and the types of dementia because I feel that there is confusion out there on the difference uh, between dementia and other forms of memory loss. Mm -hmm. The most common one being Alzheimer's. So let's start with what dementia actually is or isn't. So dementia is not a single disease. The Alzheimer's Association defines dementia as an umbrella term for loss of memory and other thinking abilities severe enough to interfere with daily life and independent function. It's also quite broad in the sense that these symptoms affect not only behavior, but feelings and relationships as well. The cause of these diseases is a result of abnormal brain changes. In the past, dementia was also referred to as senile dementia, with the belief that serious mental decline is a normal part of aging. Fortunately, that belief is incorrect, and we don't have to have serious mental decline as part of aging.
2: Okay, very good, because I think, Francis, you picked a topic today that does need so much clarification because we have these inherent views of it and and definitions in our mind. Now, let's start with the umbrella part. If dementia is an umbrella term, what are some of the types of dementia?
3: Uh, Kelly, this is where a lot of the brain diseases that most people have heard of fall under. The most common one I just mentioned is Alzheimer's and that accounts for 60 to 80% of cases. That's really such a big number that I wanted to spend a little bit of extra time talking about Alzheimer's specifically. So Alzheimer's disease is a physical illness that damages a person's brain, which eventually causes dementia. The causes are complex, but the buildup of two substances inside the brain called amyloid and tau make it harder for the brain to work properly. These clump up and form structures called plaques and tangles. And what happens is that over time, certain parts of the brain have shrunk in size and are no longer able to function or cope with the damage. Some of the symptoms that this, this is, that the person will have problems with memory and thinking and gradually over time, it can get to the point where they have difficulty doing everyday tasks that they used to be able to do easily. And then after Alzheimer's, vascular dementia is the second most common type of dementia. This type of dementia occurs as a result of microscopic bleeding and blood v- vessel blockage in the brain. As you can imagine, if your your blood supply is limited to the brain, is limited or restricted to the brain, it can cause issues and you will see that someone that has vascular dementia will have difficulties with following steps or instructions like required when, you know, cooking a meal mm. or having problems with planning or organizing and making decisions or solving problems. And within vascular dementia there are further subtypes which won't get into today. Another type of dementia is called dementia with Lewy bodies or DLB. In this case, the abnormal brain change is when tiny clumps of proteins known as Lewy bodies, named after the German doctor F.H. Lewy who first discovered them, these proteins appear in the nerve cells of the brain. We're not sure why they develop, but the symptoms that occur for this disease differ and depend on which part of the brain has the biggest buildup of these faulty proteins. A couple of things that can happen is that there may be a reduction in the chemicals needed to send messages to the brain, or that these proteins break the connection between nerve cells, which eventually cause the cells to stop working. There are other forms of dementia as well, but I wanted to mention one other type, mixed dementia. And it is what it sounds like, dementia from more than one cause. And I guess you can probably guess with Alzheimer's being one of the highest types of uh, dementia, And vascular dementia, these two together, is the most common type.
1: Okay. And where does Parkinson's fit in the picture here?
3: That's a great question. Parkinson's is also caused by a buildup of Lewy bodies or those proteins in the brain. And there is overlap with the symptoms. Both diseases cause problems with thinking, mood, movement, and how well the body functions. The difference is in the order that the disease progresses. In dementia with Lewy bodies, the symptoms of dementia begin before or around the same time as the person develops problems with movement. For people with Parkinson's disease, though, the symptoms of dementia often develop many years after the movement problems begin.
2: Okay, Wow, taking a lot in here today. It's absolutely incredible. Great stuff. Um, can you go over some examples of how to tell the difference between dementia and normal aging? Right.
3: Yeah, that's a, I'll cover a few examples. These are not exclusive, but we'll start. So with when it comes to memory, someone may have misplaced something from time to time who hasn't done that. So you might forget where you placed your phone or your keys, right. but you can retrace your steps to locate them. Someone with signs of dementia may instead put these objects in unusual places. So those keys might end up in the fridge. When it comes to language, a common sign of aging can be sometimes when we've temporarily forgotten a word, but then remember it later. You know how that happens. We're talking about something and it's at the tip of our tongue and eventually it comes back. This differs from some signs of dementia in that that person frequently has trouble finding the right word and refers to objects as that thing. The last example I'll give is that of orientation of time and place. So someone who is aging normally may forget which day of the week it is. Heck, that happens to me now, but I'll eventually figure it out. But someone with dementia could lose track of the date or season, year, or even the passage of time.
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah, so severe examples slash like very different uh, from one another for us just chalking up to things as, you know, memory loss or aging. Can't find that
2: word or whatever. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Is dementia an inherited disease? The good news in all of this is the majority of dementia is not inherited by children and grandchildren. And in the case of Alzheimer's, only 1% is inherited. The most important risk factor for Alzheimer's is age. It's quite common in people in their late 70s and 80s. Having said that, if someone has early onset Alzheimer's, say they develop before the age of 60, then there is a greater chance that this type of Alzheimer's can be passed on.
2: I know we've talked here on the program about The differences, because for the longest time people had different heart conditions, it was the same for males as females, and that we start to learn is not necessarily true, but things have to be looked at differently. Do we have to do that? Is there any differences between men and women when it comes to dementia?
3: Yes, unfortunately, about twice as many women have Alzheimer's compared to men. And one of the main reasons for this is that women often outlive men. And we know that the old age is the biggest risk factor for the disease. Some of the other causes come down to differences in biology, like pregnancy and menstruation. For example, as women age, their sex hormones such as estrogen and progesterone fall. And it has been thought that estrogen has a range of protective effects on brain health, including an ability to block some of the harmful effects of substances involved in Alzheimer's disease. Other factors are related to tra- traditional differences in generals. For example, education and work are big factors. It's not so much the case today, but even going back a few generations ago, women didn't generally have the opportunity to obtain higher education or worked in highly skilled occupations. And we talked about this on our brain chat in September, that it's important to have mental stimulation, whether mm. it's doing brain teasers or crossword puzzles or games so that we can preserve our in, or increase our cognitive function and cognitive reserve.
1: Very true, Francis, and that comes with a lot of different examples and opportunities as well. Are there things um, along the same lines, I guess? Are there things we can do to minimize or slow down our chances of getting dementia as we get older?
3: Yes. Yeah, so if you've been listening to me for a while, you will know that some of the things that I'm going to suggest should not be any surprise at all. The focus should be on keeping active, eating healthy, and of course, exercising your mind. So, in terms of keeping active, if you're not someone who has been regularly exercising, start slow and find things that you enjoy doing so that you can keep doing them. If it's something like hiking, you can even find a group to join. So, there's not only an accountability factor, but you can also socialize at the same time, which we know is important for our brain and well-being. For a healthy diet, variety is key, and the more natural whole foods we eat, the better it is for our brain and our body. I'm going to add smoking here as well. If you're smoking, Mm. you're putting yourself at a much higher risk of developing dementia later in life because smoking affects the circulation of the blood around the body, particularly the blood vessels in the brain. Same goes for alcohol. If you're excessively drinking, it will damage some of your organs and your brain and, again, can increase your risk of dementia. And lastly, regarding exercising your mind, we've mentioned doing brain teasers and brain games to keep our cognition sharp. With some of the examples that I gave earlier, it's important to not be confused with other possible health conditions. Someone who is suffering from depression may be having a hard time making decisions or get confused easily or appears withdrawn. We shouldn't jump to any conclusions, but if you suspect you or a loved one has possible signs of dementia, you should get properly diagnosed by your healthcare provider. The earlier this is caught, the earlier that certain treatments can be implemented to help slow the process down if it is indeed dementia. And if it is determined to be dementia, know that there are a lot of resources and support groups out there that can help, starting with the Alzheimer's Society of Canada.
2: Mm, because I think Francis, as I'm sure in your research, so many of us, and and we, you know, even reading it, and as you as you gather, it, it frightens us so much because we think of of oh, once I'm told what then, or if I go get checked out and am told what then, oh, I don't I don't want to deal with that. If I don't know, I don't know, um, or it can't be this. And I I think a lot of time we do have to realize, well, it's it's probably not. So go get checked and be sure because I even mean, if it's not that. There could be other things going on with a person. Um, you know, depression is certainly not something to take lightly. If if you're having struggles that way, it's better to go and, and assess, correct?
3: Absolutely. And also, I mean, we've talked about this before, that medications can have side effects. So, you know, yeah. someone could have symptoms of forgetfulness and you know, they don't associate that necessarily with their with their medication, it could be some other, you know, multiple multitude of reasons. So we shouldn't jump to any conclusions. um, But also, it's also a good opportunity, if you're feeling that something is wrong, or off your body is really smart, it's giving you signals all the time. So, you know, you'll get it checked out, so that you can be properly diagnosed, maybe it's not dementia, maybe it's something else. And maybe it's your diet that needs correcting. So it's just a matter of kind of listening to your body. And getting it checked out so that you can kind of rule out all the other um, possible causes.
1: Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because you mentioned all like the wellness um, suggestions and tips to keep in mind just to take care of your physical and mental cognitive health, right? And emotional stress and all this stuff. And we've been talking about this in various ways over the last several weeks with you. And that stuff is not just when you start noticing the signs and symptoms of potential dementia. This is like, even in our twenties and thirties and, and forties, like up until our sixties, I guess these things can make a huge difference and impact on how you maintain your cognitive health.
3: Absolutely. You want to have a great base. So, you know, the stronger your foundation, the longer it's going to help take you forward in life.
1: Exactly. Frances, thank you. This has been really great um, information as usual. Thank you. Francis Wong joins us every other week for Wellness Chat, and today we were talking about dementia, some of the signs and symptoms and suggestions to uh, mitigate or just slow down the onset of dementia. After the break, we have our first of two community reports starting in Ottawa with Kim Kilpatrick. She's going to inform us on the virtual appointments we can set up to renew our health care cards or provincial cards uh, in Ontario. We'll be right back with that.
2: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
1: It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-audio and AMI-tv, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time for the live edition. And then we have every eight hours a repeat on AMI-audio and 10 p.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Eastern for the two repeats on AMI-tv. I'm Ramiya Amodin with Kelly McDonald. I just want to check in that we do have Kelly and that he can hear me. Kelsey, are you there? Not at the moment. So we're going to get into a community report while we figure things out with Kelly. Hopefully he'll be back to join myself and Kim Kilpatrick. She's here uh, from Ottawa joining us to talk about the things that are going on over there. Kim, first of all, how's it going?
5: Uh, Good. How are you guys doing?
1: doing really well we're like halfway through october now so i'm kind of you know know, always in shock at the halfway points of the month because i'm thinking okay we have 12 months the year's obviously flying by but even when you do like a a weekly check-in on how fast things are going it's still shocking
5: yeah we've had the strangest weather we had a really hot you know september and early october like almost 30 degrees at the end of it and now it feels cool in the mornings like fall so it's been a a strange kind of transition mm-hmm. over to to the fall things, you know, that we had. Here. Yeah.
1: The ups and downs. And if you like summer, you're like, oh, we get a little bit more. But if you're looking forward to the, the it's not even looking forward to, but it's just that it's strange not to be yeah. in a certain place when you know you should be by this time, October. Yeah.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You want to talk about earthquake drills? You found some information and you live in Ottawa. So first of all, how is the region affected by earthquakes?
5: Well, I was surprised that it's one of the major areas in Canada that they listed affected by earth spaces. I, I mean, we've experienced a few and and kind of small ones, not, not huge ones. Um, so I was a little surprised. And all of the things that they say not to do, I did wrong when we did have one that was around five. A few years ago, I ran outside because I didn't want to be alone in my house with my mm. dog. And I'm like, and, and they're saying, please do not go outside because a lot of people get hit by, you know, falling bricks and Anything. roof things, and, mm. you know, whatever that is. But the thing that sort of impressed me about this particular information was that it did talk about people with disabilities. Um, and it mentioned things like, if you were in a wheelchair, lock your wheels. And because... Uh, you know, they always say, get under the tables and get under the tables. And what about if some people with certain disabilities, you know, can't crouch down and get down low to the ground and and do that? Then they feel like, you know, sitting ducks or whatever you want to call it, like out in the open with nothing. So they were kind of saying, you know, if you cannot get down on the floor, sit on something, you know, comfortable, but that's solid, you know, not a chair with wheels on it or you know like a very solid bed or couch or get down as close to the floor as you can and also keep your mobility devices close by if you can so that you can grab them you know the minute it stops if you think you can get somewhere safer, you know grab them if you can so for those of us that can't see like if you think you might need a cane later uh, or you know after something happens. Maybe have it close enough to you if if you want keep your dog you know with you I don't know keep your dog yeah. like under the thing with you if you can if you can get them underneath the the table with you but but it was kind of interesting to hear them talk about wheelchairs and locking your wheels and um, if you're underneath something hold it hold it down around you you know something solid and um, oh. if you know and if you don't have a good grip you know just try your best so it was it's kind of quite interesting to read that because that they acknowledge that not everyone can jump quickly and get under a table or scan the room to find like this is the thing that I always wonder what if you're in a sort of a strange place and you're not exactly sure you know where would be the most solid cover for you mm. like everyone else could look around the room and sort of see it um but yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to hear about that. And October 19th is, is this sort of day where they kind of remind people to do a drill uh, for earthquakes. And I don't remember ever doing drills here. I did when I lived in Vancouver, we would do drills. And I remember there are a few times when I worked with seniors in this big church with all windows around it, um, that they did drills. And there was nothing really we could do for the people in wheelchairs because they couldn't get underneath stuff you know chairs or tables and they just said you know put your head down so one of the things they say is kind of protect your core Mm -hmm. like protect your vital Vital organs organs, yep sort of lean down and protect yourself um, the best you can and maybe try to get you know close to something solid that might protect you if possible but if not you know just do the best you can given the circumstances so I I thought it was interesting it sort of caught like it grabbed me when I read it because usually they don't mention disabilities at all. So it was yep. kind of good to, to read that. Oh, this sure.
1: It's like built right in, it seems into the copy, into the um, yeah. actual intention around these tips and uh, suggestions. Absolutely, Right. Yeah. That's very, very encouraging. And, and also, yeah, so many times I, I hate to say it, but a lot of the times I just dismiss these, you know, Tips or some of these kind of things that you really should be paying absolute close attention to because it feels like we're not considered. People from the disability population are not considered. Um, this is I'm talking, you know, any kind of emergency prep. Some of the things that are handled, the yeah. way that things are handled, you're like, yeah, okay, I can't take in any of these suggestions anyway because uh, I'm blind. So
5: <laughs> and the only thing they say is stay behind and someone will help exactly. you. Exactly, you know, someone will say, help you. Okay, stay behind, and I'm thinking, I'm not staying in a burning no. building. I'm not staying no. in a. Qu- like, you Stay know, behind gonna... on the
1: 54th floor or whatever and somebody <laughs> yeah. will uh, yeah, find you.
5: Someone will eventually <laughs> figure you out. So yeah. like, I mean, yeah. that's what I don't like too. So it's kind of nice to hear these kind of things, these kind of tips. And hopefully sure. that'll expand to other types of emergency awareness like fire and, you know, other mm-hmm.
1: things. With also. earthquakes specifically as well, Kim, I always wonder, how would I even know an earthquake is happening? Like if something dramatic doesn't happen in your space right? Like things are falling off the yeah. walls or you feel the quake. You don't even know because I think visually people can tell, right? Like the vertigo yeah. and the shifting of things. But yeah. as a blind or low vision person, you might not even be aware that an earthquake is happening. So even this uh, suggestion mm. about hold on to something, like if something is shaking around you or walls or whatever, hold it so uh, until the shaking stops. Like that's
5: such a yeah. crucial
1: yeah. thing to think about.
5: Well, the other thing, too, is when it did happen here, the one that was about five, there had been a lot of construction. They were building a new building near me and they were always blasting. Mm -hmm. So when I first heard the shaking and I could hear like I could hear things sort of rattling and I thought, oh, gee, they're just doing that construction of the, you know, whatever. And then it was going on for longer than than it would for that. So I thought, oh, this is a bit luck, and then, but by the time I kind of thought to get up and kind of move somewhere where I was, yes, maybe out of the way more, it was over. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly. so dramatic that things fell down. But you're right, like. We don't always, we might not always don't know. know.
1: Uh, the last time we had an earthquake that affected Toronto, I was really one of the last people to find out it felt, because I was like, oh, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, tell us, um, on the second topic for our community report, you want to tell us about virtual appointments we can set up for uh, renewing some of these photo ID cards and health cards in Ontario.
5: Yeah, I thought that was really a good idea. And I still don't know, because it says in there, if you don't need your picture ID retaken, but how do we know whether we will need it or we won't need it I, i'm not quite a hundred percent sure maybe um you can contact them and, and they would let you know this but there's a way of making virtual appointments to renew your health card and your um photo id or your official photo id they're now coming together which i like that because before i'd have to go twice different times to renew those the non-driver's driver's license because i like having that it's a good photo id to have but it was like twice but the last time I went, they now make them at the same time as the hip cards. They can use the same picture, so you only have to go once, which was really nice. Um, so now you can do this online, and I guess it depends a bit on your circumstances, whether they'll let you do it online. And I'm not sure if you if they just talk to you and they look at you and think you look like your picture and do the forms, I'm not quite a hundred percent sure how it works, but they're starting to do that, which is really good. Cause you know, sometimes when you go to those centers, they have those, at least in Ottawa here, they have those things where you wait and your number is called, but your number isn't called. Like it comes up on the screen and it beeps. So you don't actually know what you're do you know what I mean? When your numbers, when your numbers call? Yeah, yep. it just beeps. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, that's really hard. So usually I would say, well, I won't be able to access that. So sometimes they'll just take me first, like, okay, we'll just take you now. So it's just kind of nice, but so this might help some people and especially people live far from centers where they can get these things renewed easily um there's a way and i i did give you the the information for the blog to to get those so i thought that was kind of interesting that the, oh super the helpful i oh, just
1: give us all the government. options like nobody wants to go wait in lines yeah. anyways uh do we yeah. have any caveats for this option though
5: Well, it said something about if you needed your photo done. And I'm not sure how you figured that out because technically, like there are times when I've gone and they say, Okay, I'm gonna take another photo. And there are times when I've gone and they look at my photo and say, Oh yeah, you look the same, so I'm not gonna do it. But I'm not sure it didn't really specify, it was a little bit vague. Like it said, if you need your photo ID, you'll have to go in. So I'm not sure if maybe if they you made an appointment and they looked at you and they decided. Yeah, you needed your photo. Maybe then you the old
1: cards versus the new cards, because there was that. um, Yeah, mm,
5: those old paper cards. No, I'm sure it would be the new cards, like the one with the pictures on, you know, the new cards, newer cards. But I don't know. They were a little bit vague about that. And I did have questions about that. It's like, well, where, you know, how do I know for sure that I'm eligible for this? Mm -hmm. But we could always call and talk to them and and see what they say. Find out which more. Kind of nice. Yeah, but yeah. hopefully this will
1: help the majority of us who are trying to avoid going and waiting in line. Yes, yeah,
5: waiting in line.
6: You yeah.
1: want to close off with an upcoming show or just tell us about the Ottawa Storytellers signature season?
5: Yeah. So the Ottawa Storytellers is starting their new season. And I just want to mention it to everyone partly because I have a show in it, but also not till March, my show. But um, it's a six uh, series um, season and it is all available virtually over Zoom as well as in person if you're here in Ottawa, if you want. And it's a pretty good deal, $110 for the six shows. And you have a week if you're doing the Zoom, you have a week to watch it after it goes up and it's pretty accessible. So if people do want to buy, there's everything from sort of very epic material. There's some spooky stuff for Halloween. There's a a musical and storytelling show about grief. My show is Put Your Dog in the Trunk, which is a show about advocacy based on my experience. Well, starting from my experience last here with my cab refusal in Calgary, mm. which is what the driver said, and I thought that's a great title for a storytelling show. So it's about advocacy. There's also one uh, show of mystery stories. So there's sort of something for most people in that series. So, OttawaStorytellers.ca, I, I gave you the link. Uh, look for the signature series, and you could, no matter where you live in Canada, if you do want these shows, these six shows, you can get them. And if you're in Ottawa, they'll ask you about a a few weeks before whether you're coming live or zoom well they might ask everybody but so that they know for ticket counts whether people are coming to arts court which is uh, in the black box theater which i think holds maybe about a hundred people or something like that somewhere in there so they would they would ask whether you're zooming or but regardless if you come live you will also get the zoom link so if uh, by chance you live here and it was a stormy, miserable day. You could stay If home. you subscribe to the full series, I mean, you can decide to stay home mm-hmm. if you need to. So it is, it is nice that they've, they talked about not continuing that this year, that zoom component. And I was really all for, you know, continuing the online as well, because we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. And exactly. also, you know, I just, it gives people a lot of choices and it, increases the audience from not just local it does. audience too and it's you know, practiced so.
1: now like we've been doing this for a couple of years where uh people and places and entities have been offering the hybrid experience so really yeah. you kind of have a trusted idea of what that could feel like if you're experiencing the arts yeah. from home or from in person
5: Kim we gotta and, let you go yeah I'm and sorry. for storytelling it's so easy to do that with it kids, is so it's good it is it yeah. works
1: very well we'll in this have medium. A,
5: have a good month, everybody. Thank you. We'll
1: chat with you in November. Yeah, okay, he sounds good. Kim Kilpatrick is our community reporter in Ottawa, Ontario, giving us the scoop on everything that's going on there. Blind community, disabled community, and otherwise, like these tips around earthquakes. In the second hour of the show, we have our monthly Voices segment with Corinne Van Dusen who joins us for entertainment every other week, but today she's telling us a little bit more about different things about herself. Young Wong is joining us to talk about advocacy. She's got a couple more stories for us. Not all of them end well, but after the break, we're talking to Mathieu Rochette for our second Community Report, this time from Montreal, Quebec. We'll be back.
2: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
1: We're kicking off the second hour of Kelly and Ramiya. It's nice to have you with us, as usual, on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. And we get into a second community report. Oh, yes, update. We still don't have Kelly. We're working on getting him back with us. But in the meantime, we have our second community report. We're going over to Montreal, Quebec, and checking in with Mathieu Richette, who joins us monthly, as do our other community reporters, and uh, give us all the goods that are going on in in their neck of the woods,
0: Matt. How's it going? Very good. Second time in a row, room, yeah.
1: Second time in a row, what? That well, we had don't you have and Kelly? I alone. That's oh. it.
0: Last time, <laughs> Kelly was pretending to work, and this time, he found a good excuse to not be here.
1: <laughs> you know, every time, I don't know what it is. Do you guys have this um uh, challenge about the Habs or something? What's what is it? Uh, I, I don't know. There's something, I don't know. There's I hope uh, I know it's sports
0: related. I know, I know. Keep me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be here today. How are you, Romya?
1: I'm doing well. I'm very excited to hear about some of the things you have for us. Uh, you want to start with this event, the Closed Eyes, Open Hearts event?
0: Yes, this is this is the kind of events I really, really like. So the initiative is coming from four medical students who want to work on inclusion of the community and also working, well, not working, fighting against the prejudice. That you know, people might have on on the blind people. So they work with different partners uh, in the community, on the community near Montreal, um, like the Fondation des Aveugles du Quebec, uh, the Blind Sport Quebec Association, and they do an event on the November fourth on Collège André Grasset on Crimazie. Um, like this is like near to uh, Metropolitan high, highway. Uh, anyway, so the first thing in the morning, they're going to do a friendly global competition with uh, children of 8 to 15 years old. And it's uh, after the lunch break. This is the part that I personally really like a lot. It's going to do a conference with student with professional worker, athlete, that they or visual impaired person and also sighted people but working in the community uh, with like like an ophthalmologist sorry i have always issue with that word mm. um, ophthalmologist yeah yeah exactly thanks <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: um <laughs> um so yeah and and it's great sometimes you know you you you're reading books, you hear story in the movies, like, yeah, that sounds like fantasy and stuff, but having someone who's live in front of you, who's blind, and share this her, his experience directly with you, answering straight up your question, it is always, always a good time. And I know like one of the athletes will be there. It's Bruno Ache. I know him personally. I played Gobo ball back in the days with him. Yep. And I know he's not there to be under the spotlight. He's not there to brag and says like, hey, I went to the, the Paralympic, this and that. It is really not his goal. His goal is just to share, to talk, to say, you know what? Yes, you can do that you can you are not necessarily an handicapped person who's just good to stay home and wait you could be out there be an athlete if you want there is or does exist and he's work as everyone else and he's just there for good reasons and <laughs> romia mm. between you and i uh, and others right how many times do we hear People, when they ask question because they're curious and it's always nice to be curious, but they are surprised when we say, Yeah, I cook home. Yes, I do my laundries. Yeah, yes, right. I can mop the floor. And this is just casual, natural things. Every and day. I don't blame yeah. anyone who doesn't know and they're surprised that we can do something because the pressure, like this stereotype, blind person, what they do, they what they play piano, maybe. They are are home waiting, so it's just a miss of maybe understanding and certainly knowledge. So I highly recommend all of you guys uh, to go there, it's all free, it's going to be a really nice event, I think, and I believe that they like to travel Canada, a city in Canada to offering this activity so you can follow them on lifco.org all information is going to be there i really like the initiative bravo guys good luck with the rest
1: mm-hmm. i like the approach of just integrating Uh, able-bodied people, people, as you said, who are curious about how um, people with disabilities and blindness, low vision live, and just integrating them right into the activities, right? Right into the experiences and realities, because that way we can have a pretty neutral conversation you know this what mm-hmm. we call inspiration porn which is just like oh my god wow you do these amazing things and it's like i get up in the morning and brush my teeth right and that's exactly. stuff, <laughs> that <laughs> stuff usually puts people at kind of an arm's length uh situation or just it makes it less relatable you iconize or put people on pedestals and it doesn't necessarily have the same impact as saying Come join us. Let's do these things together and we can open up the conversation and you can ask your questions, but essentially you're experiencing it with us so you can understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally.
1: Awesome. Let's talk about the second item, which is celebrating um what is it? A S is it A S M M or S M A?
0: Yeah, S A A M M Assam. So Thank you. Yes, so this this is a nonprofit organization in Montreal who give the all visual impaired people living around uh, the uh, opportunity to do sport activities like tandem biking, snowshoes, um, all kind of activities, everything from inside to outside, and they are there from forty years. 40th anniversary, 40 nice. Years, yeah. And they do a fundraising activity, the annual one, uh, this year with Les Deux Pierrots. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you never heard about them before, right? Mm-hmm. No, okay. So Les Deux Pierrots—it's like a cliche. It's a—it's an old thing. Does it did exist like the in the '80s? So they just like a cover, and they're gonna go there um, and does a show uh, with the. All singer like from Paul Pichet to Cabo Fringal, Icolat, and it's to it's to get money basically for uh, supporting all the activities that Assam does. Celebrate the forty years of existence, and this year the particularly thing is going to be really cool. It's the founder of the Assam, forty years ago will be there that evening, and. <laughs> there's guys like I never, I, I haven't seen for a decade, honestly, it's going to be really amazing and guys, I just want to, I, I just want to point it out, the importance of those nonprofit organization. No members who go there, there's no association, no volunteer who join the association for whatever good reason they they have, there is no association. Mm. It's a nice chemistry that need member, need volunteer, and that's why after forty years they're still there. So I just want to say globally thanks for all members, for all people from our community, for all people outside of the community joining us during those activities. Give us, give us us you know, the chance to do like bicycle in tandem. But also it's a night, like speaking of the first topic, it's again, it's working to inclusion, Mm. giving information, sharing time. And at the end, volunteers, I know a lot of them just became friends with a lot of people around and they do things outside. So the activity, the uh, fundraising activity will be on November 10, on the Studio TV. Uh, all information will be on the asam.ca. And guys, congratulations for the, the anniversary of the 40 years. This is it's extraordinary. I uh, wish you another 40 years of a good existence. And uh, go, ahead, let's go, Kayleigh.
1: Fantastic. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much. Uh, Two great topics and two great ways that people can support organizations in Montreal and around Quebec. Appreciate your time. We'll chat with you in November.
0: Absolutely. Take care, Rania.
1: You too. Mathilde Rochette joins us from Montreal, Quebec, and he will be back next month. Our community reporters are back Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, to kick off the second hour of the show. After the break, because it is the third Tuesday of the month, we're checking in with Young Wong. She's our freelance reporter, and she's going to communicate to us about advocacy through some of the stories and experiences she had. Some great, some not so great. We'll... uh, break down and compare experiences after the break here on Kelly and Ramia.
7: We're back
1: with you. And yes, I do mean we, because Kelly McDonald is also here. Hey, Kels. Hey,
2: Rum. Glad to be back here. Oh, Sorry about you. that. Thank Don't you. Know thank we you. We were you just a quick windows break, huh? or what? uh yeah assisted by windows it's kind of like in hockey the assist given to i think maybe windows or something happened but um you know the quick short answer usually for people that they accept is tech
1: yeah tech yeah. but i uh, i mean both of our community reporters you missed and i tried to tell them don't take it personally guys it's not oh, about hold it. you
2: i heard most of their reports you guys <laughs> just couldn't hear me Right, Great stuff. Right. We're all getting ready to hide under the table for the earthquake. And yes, I was screaming, you don't go outside, Tim. Mm-hmm. And as for Mathieu, uh, yes, I salute to the Asan. You know, okay, it's beautiful you when, when you say, see, I was here. God,
1: yes. Good silent. saves, good
2: saves. I really... Uh, I, aren't I just cool?
1: You are the best. All right, cool.
2: Talent, talent.
1: Before we get to our next segment, let me quickly tell everybody about the book that we've picked for October. Uh, and this time, I don't mean the proverbial we... It's Greg David who recommended this book. It's called Holly. Mm -hmm. It's by Stephen King. It was released in 2023, earlier this year. And, of course, it's ghost and horror. There's a bit of this investigation stuff going on as well. Human narration uh, available on SELA. And, of course, it's available on Audible as well for you subscribers. And Holly Gibney is one of Stephen King's most compelling and ingeniously resourceful characters. And she returns in this thrilling novel to solve the Gruesome truth behind multiple disappearances in a Midwestern town. Uh, and this is about Penny Dahl, who calls the Finder's Keepers Detective Agency hoping for help and locating her missing daughter. And Holly is very reluctant at first to accept the case. Her partner. Pete has COVID. Her very complicated mother has just died, and Holly's meant to be on leave. But something in Penny Dolph's desperate voice makes it impossible for Holly to turn her down. So she takes it, and there's a lot going on here uh, where the... The two professors who are in question may seem kind of normal on the outside, but they got a lot of interesting and strange things going on in the inside. So this is what we're getting into this month with Holly by Stephen King. Check it out. Talk to us about it and give us your comments because we will be reviewing the book on October 31st, falls right on Halloween, that last Tuesday of the month, which is our regular book club time for Kelly and Rumia. Let's get into some chat and conversations with freelance journalist slash writer slash blogger Yang Wang.
7: Hi, I'm Yang Wang. I'm a blogger, disability advocate, and immigrant social innovator. Join me to explore challenges and changes in our community on Kelly and Remia.
1: Young, for the last two months, because you come on monthly to chat with us, uh, we've been sharing advocacy stories and experiences, and not all of them have been, you know, uh, and at the end of the day, it was an awesome experience. You know, some of them were really challenging, really tested our patience as well, and Two months ago, you shared your horseback riding story. The stable owner at the end of that story changed her attitude to um, blind people riding horses, AKA you. And that was really great. It was a success mm-hmm. story in your books yeah. for advocacy. Mm-hmm. But you do have some stories that are not that successful for advocacy.
7: Right, right. Let me As ask you. Do you, do you dance?
1: Hmm? Do <laughs> uh, you dance? Here and there.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Kelly, How do you about dance?
0: Kelly?
2: Uh, here and there.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, okay. so, it depends answers.
2: on how much money's involved, and and if Who's the lights are me? off and nobody's there.
7: <laughs> uh, well, like uh, I love dancing. I uh, explore dancing, um, Latin dance, mm. and actually, I organized a dancing Latin dance class for uh, at CINIB, uh for the blind people a few years ago in 2017, 2018, I believe. Um, but then in the pandemic, I stopped uh, at all. Uh, but since last December, I started to go to some dancing studio uh, to dance again. And uh, one of the instructors I invited, actually, um, he's, he's my friend. When he and uh, his dancing partner go, uh, they're very kind. <laughs> they just give me a ride. Right. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I learned. Um, I cannot boast I'm a you know excellent dancer, but uh, I'm okay, <laughs> and and I enjoy it. Um, yeah. So I said, oh, why not, uh, uh, like ask my other blind friends to come over. So I asked my friend, like, can I you know bring my uh, blind friends and you can help? Um, he said, okay, let me ask the the studio's owner. Um, because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I know her for a long time. Uh, let me ask first. So he came back to me and said, "Okay, uh, let's do it. Let's let's plan for it." Um, at this point, I um, I just mentioned because I, I forgot to mention I, I'm not a dog user, guide dog user. Uh, so at this point, I I I said, "Okay." So some of my friends they have um, guide dogs. Uh, I think that's okay, right? But he was like, oh, uh, this could be an issue because uh, some people would get uh, alert, like allergies maybe, and or or they get scared. And what if, uh, like the dogs, you know, while you're dancing on the floor, the dogs come. So he, he was a little bit uh, uh, kind of like uh, like scared by this idea. And I said, like, why not you ask uh, the owner? Um, but he said, oh, I know her very well because he's mm-hmm. been there for like, dozens uh-huh. of years, so, like always yeah. go there. Yeah. And, and he said, believe me, like he, she will not be happy about that. So the next uh, like a uh, trip to the dancing studio, I I really just couldn't help asking. You know, I said, why not you let me ask the owner Uh, her to ask, right? Um, and do you know, actually, according to the law, uh, any business, you know, they, 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 they have to open their facility to people with service more. And my friend at this point, literally he was law. kind mm-hmm. of very, yeah, he, he was kind of quite uh, upset because he's, he thought I was trying to like and like threaten and he said, don't you, you know, tell her about this, because uh, she, she, she's really hardcore. She would be pissed off. Right. Um and, would be, and too, she, when she got fine. Oh, <laughs> he said, oh, I regret even, I, I, I bring you here, right? Um, yeah, of course, that's I said, next. you know, yeah, yeah. So I said, but uh, she's running a business, and she might already know it just because you don't know that doesn't mean she doesn't know yeah or and, she uh, should know it she, for her own yeah, benefit she, too yeah right yeah. exactly for her own benefit yeah. what if you know but um she he was very upset and uh, i said well you actually came to CNIB to teach uh, blind people you know how you know we can manage and uh, uh, the the dogs they really behave very well, uh, he said. Yes, I'm okay with that. But that was at CNIB. Uh, and this is you know a dancing studio. Yeah. So, so what? Like uh, people outside CNIB or blank community uh, should start to get used to that, right? And he said, "Oh, you're gonna do this uh, social reform starting from this little dancing studio." Um. But anyway, like uh, we went inside, uh, and I, I he was like very popular there. Um, he knew all the, the friends there, and uh, the owner. The owner uh, was really a, a very tough woman. Um, you cannot say she was not kind. Uh, but anyway, my friend was upset, and I, I, you know, I respected um, him and his uh, request. So I, I stayed silent. I didn't ask. Uh, and I could see he was quite nervous all the time. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. was, um, and at the end, he, like, when we left, he said, oh, if you really want to ask, go ask her.
2: Yeah, because he felt go guilty, right? Her. And I understand that.
7: Um he he's actually very kind like he and his yeah. partner give me right. and he helped actually blind people. but uh, um, he has his social life there, and uh, he oh. could um imagine like he knew them very uh, well, and he knew that they might not be so keen on the idea. Uh, but anyway, he he asked me like to to ask. so I asked like very nicely. Uh, but the owner said, "Oh, like we have a board meeting next month, so I- I'll ask at the board, and I'll let you know." Oh man, uh, and it's really I, I never prolonged. I never <laughs> yep. get yeah, I never get Got an, an answer. answer, right? So I that's a Like, that's an indirect uh,
1: refusal. No kidding. Young, I'm very curious about this approach on uh, your end of it, because there's AODA, right? And there's the Ontario laws and legislations talking about discrimination uh, towards guide dogs and service animals. We know this stuff is in place already. We know that the business owners and um, businesses in general, their attitude or... Uh, you know personal feelings and emotions around guide dogs and service animals is literally like you know it's it's not mm. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the situation, to say the least, because we have the laws dictating that service animals are not to be refused. Uh, However, your approach was a bit more patient. It's more gentle. There's a lot of this kind of let's see if we can get him on our side in an attitudinal way. And I'm curious if you can talk more about that with
7: us. Yes, cause I I argued uh, hard for my blind friends, right? But I can sort of also understand the concerns of my friend and the concerns of the of the studio owner, like the uh, resistance like around it. Technically, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Um, they have like the concerns on their mind uh, are real, right? Like what to do? Like what if the the, the dogs just uh, come to the floor and you know. Work around with people and people maybe trip over it could like cause mass um so and like they have uh, yeah they have these real concerns and i can see my friend like his social life every day go dancing and it's that's his life and if like uh, he brought some trouble to the, the studio to the friend um he he would not feel good about that, right? So I can really see that. Um mm-hmm. and I think we have this AODA, you know, the laws to support us. Uh, but it might be, it might not be in our best interest if every time we just use that law kind of to force people to do something. Because mm-hmm. you said that attitudinal right only when people can accept us uh, from the bottom of their heart we can really enjoy that equal opportunity to participate to interact and to love and be loved so So i come come from an era uh...
2: I come from an era where we didn't have any of these rules or any of these things to protect us the same way we do now. But I also come from an era where you go and approach someone, you have this discussion, and we can't be a sledgehammer all the time. The law can't be a sledgehammer. It is, as you said, Young, in our best interest sometimes to work out the compromise to teach the lesson, right? I agree very right, much. Right. And, okay, sure, they can't tell you no. If you showed up with money and said, I'd like to come in, I have a guide. To, well, we don't Oh oh, you want to buy how many classes? Yeah, 50 you should do for a start. It's in your best oh. interest,
1: yeah. So yeah. then they then, say, well, what know. do
2: we do with your dog? Because they obviously don't want the dog in their minds, pestering other clients. The allergy thing is a thing because people with allergies have a right to go out as much as we do. And that is a legitimate thing. It's the showing them this is a trained dog. This isn't just my pet coming along with me because I he he doesn't like being left at home. Um, and we all have the responsibility. And let's be fair. Some of us do know people who have guide dogs or service animals that are not the most well-behaved. It it happens like anything. Um, So I like your approach. I also understand, like you do, his situation. Would I have gone to the person, the owner, when I realized he was feeling put in the middle and, you're going to get me in trouble here, and out the window goes my social life. I would have probably gone to that owner, but I probably would have gone with a compromise too. I mean, especially if I was, I don't know if the people I'm bringing are paying if they're paying, they're as good as their money's as good as anybody else. I think I might have wondered. All right, so you're worried about for whatever you could claim. So put us as your last class of the day. Let us go in. Sure, solution go, oriented. And, or mm-hmm. a solution yeah, to show you the solution. a behavior, so you're not saying no. Because the reality is, yeah, sure you can go in and say I have a right to take it. If you don't, I'll call the police right now. Well, they could also Human just rights say, complaints, right? Or you could complain and say I'm not going to come here. We're not bringing our business here, which is what they want. Oh, well, that's too bad. Sorry to lose your business. Yeah, go bother someone else.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, it's almost about where we draw the line, right? Yes, we can have the mm-hmm. the yin and the yang, the push and pull, the tug of war of um, advocacy and experience. And, and a lot trying won't to do be. do it, right? They th- can't deal with it. Trying to be an integrated part to. of society versus, you know, do we just throw the law in people's faces? We have these kind of discussions often on know your rights, right? Is the law uh, mm-hmm. enough to make the difference? Is it actually making long-term effect and impact? However, in this kind of circumstance, my question is also, and where do you draw the line? Like, at the end of the right. day, well, if it's me versus you and you don't want me there and I'm saying, hey, me and my guide dog really want to take part in this uh, activity, at some point, who's putting their foot down? Am I walking away from the situation feeling like I did not move the needle forward? Are you saying, good, I won. This person is no longer going to come in, you know, good riddance kind of thing. It, it, that's the the unfairness we're talking about with well, people with disabilities. And the unfairness right? is
2: also pitting people, other, other people mm-hmm. with disabilities, such as allergies yeah. or somebody who comes from a place yeah. where dogs are very scary to yeah. them. You know, do you want to lose those mm-hmm. customers? The but stereotypes
1: also just, are being reinforced.
2: Yeah. We, our law is there. Mm-hmm. Thrown out there, but how do we kind of make it fair for both? Someone with a guide dog or a service yes, animal of any yes. kind should not have yep. to deal. And allergies also are legitimate. Somebody's not just making it up because they want to run around and keep dogs out of places. yeah
7: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's a good thought. Yeah. Good thought. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, like a mutual understanding, patience, and yeah. stay engaged. And showcasing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, showcasing. The all very important.
2: -hmm. Yeah, and teaching the lessons in a nice way. Don't demoralize anyone. Don't degrade, and don't come in with a cannon and blast your way in. Yeah, or
1: maybe you do. That's my point. At At times you have to. (laughs) At times you have to.
7: Yeah, yeah, and I also realize, you know, it's really um, hard to change the stereotype in people's mind, and um, especially when they, especially when they're really grown up, because they're like maybe they're already very formed uh, right? in their ways yeah some yep. stereotype yeah mm. um so it's, it, i i'm thinking yeah maybe it's better to introduce some um, education in school to young students absolutely well, and you will find young a, students a generally now already yeah?
2: know a lot right a lot of young people already may not have those biases especially in this circumstance
7: yeah, but you know what? To give some some uh, really helpful advice, because I once translated a menu, like a customer service manual uh, from China, uh, English to Chinese for a technology company. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 um, really gave a very helpful advice. Uh, how to deal with uh, all kinds of people with disabilities. Yes, And I'm thinking, oh, if we introduce this kind of material to the schools, and the students will be equipped not only with that uh, empathy, that understanding, but they will be equipped with all this knowledge. So they will not have that fear, uh, a lot of like uh, over-concern on mm. their mind. They will know how to help people with all kinds of disabilities. And when they're young, you know, when they go to society, like when they become uh, owner of the studio, dancing studio, they, they, it will be, you know, not that uh, much uh, barrier.
1: For exactly. Them. In a different place and mindset. It definitely takes advocacy of all kinds, Young. Thank you so much for um, these stories and discussions. We'll chat with you next month.
7: Well, thank you. All very
1: good source from you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Young Wang joins us on the third Tuesday of every month, so you can check in this time for these kinds of conversations. A lot of advocacy that's come up in the last few months. After the break, same thing. On the third Tuesday of every month, we like to have our Voices segment, and we bring someone who can uh, talk a little bit about their passions and commentary on subjects that they deem important. Corinne Van Dusen is joining us this month, so we'll be back to talk to her.
2: It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
1: We're back. We've had some heated discussions just before the break with Young Wang. And that is all about advocacy, comparing experiences, and clearly comparing mindsets on the matter as well, Kels. Uh, So lots of these kinds of discussions that come your way 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. This is Kelly and Ramya.
2: On our Voices segment, we love to hear about your passions, drives, and any comments that you have on things that you find important that you want to share with us. Today, we're joined by Corinne Van Dusen. Over the years, Corinne has been a reader for AMI-audio, backup host for now, and handling part of our entertainment beat on our program here, the host of the Globe and Mail show on AMI-audio daily. That's just a start, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to bring her to voices today uh, just to chat a little bit about a few things that I felt we could have some fun talking about and learning as well. Corinne, welcome back. How are you?
6: Good, thanks for having
2: me. So I want to start with baseball right off the top because you are a passionate (laughs) Blue Jays fan. And I got to say, I know we discussed this before. I can't remember when it comes playoff time or at other points of the season, how much you check out the other teams. I'm of the belief, really, it's our Jays all the way.
6: Well, I watch everything up into the World Series, actually. <laughs> it's always really? concentrated until they're there. And then after that, I uh, I I go for my, I usually cheer for the National League side.
2: Wow. So you do follow the playoffs up until, but it's usually a National League team you go for. Is that because you don't want to cheer for any other American League team outside of the correct Jay's? <laughs> Yeah, see, I know that, that line of thought. All right. So right now as things are unfolding you must be steaming where your texas rangers are as they're two games up on houston um so i'm curious about that feel and i'm curious about i mean are you a phillies going for phillies or the underdog arizona
6: well see that's a tough one because last year i followed the phillies all the way um and then they Hold on. For lack of a better term, drop right the ball.
2: There. <laughs> why, tell me why there. Is it have to do with Canada at all?
6: Um, n- no, it has to do with Bryce Harper. It has to do with oh. Rio Muto. It has to do with uh the players okay. on the team and uh just there's they're a scrappy bunch. So I, I okay. like them. I like the idea of Philly. I thought it might have been there. the
2: Canadian manager. That's what I thought might have, might have. Oh. okay. So <laughs> oh, sorry, going back to the initial uh Arizona, Philly.
6: Yes, so, but Arizona has ended up winning the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Moreno trade for Dalton Varsho, because the Blue Jays Uh got Dalton Varsho in exchange for those two uh, players. And at the beginning of the season, on paper, on the field, you thought, oh, the Jays won it. The Jays got the best players. And now who are two of the stars when it comes to Arizona in the playoffs? Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So it is a difficult one. It's one of those ones where I'm like, "Okay, whichever side gets there it's fine because I really don't have any like horses in the race Um, it's just enjoying playoff baseball at this point because lots of things happen Uh, and yeah so yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the national league because I'm still upset that uh, Texas is playing. <laughs> okay, good. I just want to be sure that we were on the same
2: page there because I'm very anti-Texas, let alone having two Texas teams battling it out uh, right now and, and nobody else. Uh, one other thing I'll ask before we move off of baseball, and this is the soapbox part of things that I always try to get some, you know, somebody to get on when it comes to the uh, voices segment. Where did your Blue Jays go wrong this year?
6: <laughs> I'll put on my uh, uh, armchair manager hat. Is that what you want? Yeah, me to thank do? you. Yeah, I I want right from the heart as
2: fan slash what you know and, and feel and what you've observed.
6: Um, I think players and management didn't click. Uh, I think I'm not I'm I, I'm not going to throw John Schneider under the bus like the head office did when they said he's the one who said to call Barrios out uh, on paper we were great on paper. We were winning the whole thing. We definitely had nothing to worry about going into the playoffs and then injuries get plagued. But I found that this year the tone was so different from the year before. Like when we, when they had the, the Barrios and the home run jacket and just everyone having fun, also being professional athletes in the dugout this time, it like at the beginning of the season, uh, they set the tone of like, Nope, we're grown up, we're mature, we're baseball players. There's no, there's no fun in baseball, you know, uh, kind of thing. And it didn't seem like I was excited because Don Mattingly was there. He's Donnie baseball, you know, like, so, uh, it just seemed that Schneider didn't click as the main manager for a whole season with the players. Again, That's that's just those are just my thoughts. Right. Then you get injuries and then you get slumps and then you get, you know, uh, players that are being amazing, like um, Davis Snyder, who came up Mm -hmm. from uh, from Buffalo and just hit everything out of the park for the first, I think, series. And then settled down. We had, um, I had high hopes with like Kiermaier being there to play with veterans like him and Springer and Chapman. And I was getting, I was like, you know what? I want the vibe of like 2000, like 2021 um, mm, kind of yes. things with Marcus Simeon was there. And, uh, you know, that that gel team, I was like, this is the team. If any team is going to take us to the World Series, it's this one. Unfortunately, didn't happen good for marcus Simeon for being there right now but (laughs) so i just i just think it it wasn't it, it didn't gel as much as they wanted to i think the the turnaround was too big of a going from like you know home run jacket uh having fun to a like you know, s- straighten your tie and stand up straight, kind of thing. We're, we're a serious mm. team now.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thanks, Corinne. I really wanted to hear all that. I mean, I always sum it up to people. That it'd be nice too if they hit the ball once in a while, and a, or at least a more productive, timely hitting that is. But she was very diplomatic. Me, it was
1: armchair management. Was after
2: wonderful. All. <laughs> like that was really good, and she was good to everyone. Well, yes. yes. Thank for you. management, could kind of go and learn a lesson. <laughs> Very <there>. fair thoughts.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has different managing styles. You know, you Bad. think of the last three managers they had Tony Mon, um, Montoya and uh, John Gibbons. Just think of the different teams they had. Gibbons took two uh, teams to, like, you know, pass the playoffs. We actually won a playoff game. They didn't win anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's exactly. Not Tony Mon-Toya, so, yeah.
2: yeah, that's the thing.
6: Krin, um,
1: the other side of the Voices segment we want to talk to you about is broadcasting. We know that the industry leaves us short of work. People do all kinds of things in terms of taking on jobs to just stay in the industry, to get by, to, you know, get the leg up. So one or more jobs is not, um, you know, unheard of, right, where people take off. And you have— taken on two jobs at a time or two different broadcasters at a time and things like that. What's that like? Like, what do you want to tell us about this?
6: Well, since I've been with AMI uh, since 2008, so (laughs) that's how long I've been there uh, um, here. Uh, It's usually, it used to be like I'd have like kind of a main broadcasting job and then AMI and then my focus switched to most, to mainly AMI with other broadcasting jobs. And I've always been the kind of person who likes to wear a lot of hats, likes to do a lot of things. So coming in and getting to read here was something I could do. And then I was I moved to Toronto to become a traffic reporter. So that's where I started, uh, at a place that just did traffic for places. And then I moved on to go to, I believe it's now called City News 680, Um, And I was a traffic reporter there, but I also um, kept the AMI gig because, you know, it's it's a great gig. So Mm. (laughs) and uh, it worked into the schedule, but, you know, it did offset some other stuff because when you're working part time at two places, you need them to gel to make a full time job. Right. So I did that. And then I moved on to uh, News Talk 1010 and CP24. And those were were more sporadic shifts. So and it was it was always about the different jobs, the different things you could do, Mm. Um, because like I'm not I'm sure we're all like this. We're not nine to fivers. Right. Like I can't go in, clock in, do the same thing, clock out Mm -hmm. like it's just not. In me to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> i need i want like you know i loved one day to report traffic one day it was an anchor one day it was a reporter um you know and at ami i've read so many uh different shows and done so many different uh different shows here that it just uh it kept kept me interested but it's not unusual yes for people to have more than one uh broadcasting job at a time
1: What was the worst thing about that, though? Like, it's awesome that you can do, you know, five different things, five different days. That sounds awesome. But is there some aspect of routine that feels so challenging without, like sleep?
6: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I will tell you that when I was doing a lot of stuff, I used to do an afternoon show on AMI instead of a morning show. Uh, And I would do traffic in the mornings on CP24. So I was up at uh, 2.30 in the morning. Get out. Uh, getting my, yeah, <laughs> getting my hair done, getting my makeup done. Uh, then I would have to, uh, because my first, we, we called them traffic hits. So the first time I was on air was 5 a.m. So I would have to get there, yeah. you know, in person. I usually oh. got there between three 30 and four. And then I would put all the traffic together and like get all the, the bearings and then have the final makeup touch, touch up done. And then five o'clock you're on. So it was, so I was up from two 30 and then, to come to AMI after to do the afternoon show you're there's no time to nap which is something that you would like to do uh-huh, uh, yeah. and you go straight through I was on air until five o'clock and then it was about an hour commute home so those the long 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 days were were the toughest to get through but man did I sleep well at those wow. nights <laughs> wow. if you can and make it funny yeah.
2: thing too Krim, because I mean Yes, people often have to have the multiple jobs, but it's really interesting because a lot of time when you're with a broadcaster, you're synonymous with that particular broadcaster. And I think, wow, it's kind of cool that, yes, you may have been with, um, you know, uh, 1010 and and CFRB and and the group over there, but able still no one minding you also being over here and being a personality, a face, a, a voice on this network.
6: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So when I went over to um, to Bell, I said to them, I was like, you know, AMI is a thing that I want to keep if I can't keep it, you know, but it's very flexible with that. Uh, like yeah. the broadcast uh, system is usually very flexible. And thankfully they were to me, you know, and I I didn't have like a set shift at uh, at Bell at News Talk and CP24. I was like, they're like, pretty much their main fill in person for news and traffic. So it wasn't as though um, like I was... Someone who was familiar on the network, but uh, not someone who was like main, main thing was like I do, you know, let's yeah. for an example, I do traffic from noon till seven, which wasn't me. So uh, mm-hmm. it was easy enough to um, keep with AMI and then uh, have those as fill in shifts.
2: Yeah. And I remember as like a kid when I'd watch stuff or listen to stuff, I loved it. Hey that's the same person that does, you know, I always thought because right. I noticed those things and they were really cool. Um, and you were originally, like you said, with, what was that? Skyward's traffic. Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. That what, Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. I remember I, that, where they did all you guys did traffic for places all over Ontario. Yes. So yeah, I was, right.
6: uh, and it was the time before, uh, like Google Maps really got going. So yes. <laughs> I still wow. have my map book. I still have my paper MacBook that has uh, sticky notes all through it to say <laughs> like where a certain major roots and everything are.
2: <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Um, talk to us about I'm kind of curious of the comparison in a crazy newsroom, like 680 and how that, how that works at your desk and jumping over to, you know, to, to you, to you going back to somebody else um, versus to the TV portion, which I'm assuming when you were over on the TV uh, over at CFRB on, on um, you know, doing things over at Bell, you still had your same location desk that you worked from, did everything from, and then did your hits from is, is that right? At both locations? Yes.
6: Yeah. Wow. So what's, the, what's it like? The move, the moving parts that I experienced at, uh, 680 are, are very, are, are grand, for lack of a better word, right? You have your editor, you have an audio editor, you, you're writing scripts, you have your reporters out there, you have your weather person, your traffic person, your business person, your sports person. So there's lots of uh, elements to be put together and, when I was there, and I'm sure it's the same thing, you work as a team, and everyone knows that you work as a team. News is always changing, I mm. believe is one of their taglines. Uh-huh, <laughs> so, uh-huh. and that's that's how you do it. And it's a well-oiled machine. Like, um, they they know what they're doing, they've got a format, and it's fun to work in there because you know know where you can fit in in the format. Also, it's live 24 hours a day, so you can break in, like literally break in with news. Anytime you need to, Mm. it's not a, like a cycle of things that you have to like, wait until you can, Oh, we're not live until 6am. No, there's anytime there's breaking news, you're on there. So it was, it it was fun to have like a lot of hands on, on deck to help and getting to see how everything else worked when, uh, moving to CP 24 to do traffic. I, I was the traffic place. Like, you know, I took calls from, uh, listeners and, um, Pardon me. And I would put those traffic things on air. I put together the screenshots. So you're the one who's choosing what images of like the 401 or the 400 or the DVP to show. And you put that together. But also just watching a television newsroom is fascinating as well because they have a breaking news desk. They have assignment editors. They have like downstairs, there'll be people in your ear because I could hear them sometimes being like, all right, throw the throw this clip. We're going here. Weather then. Da, da da then da da da. I got to see how the the weather green screen works. So wow. um it's uh, yeah, it's if you it's organized chaos. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it works. I love right? it. And
2: fast. Yeah, it does. It does. And and, and it's so fascinating because there's so much behind the scenes. We don't know. You see, and you're already saying, oh, my head's spinning. They're going all over the place. But mm. that back channel stuff, as you mentioned, downstairs, all over the, you know, hey, fast breaking. Hey, here, we're going to you, whether it's the talk news or sorry, talk news, radio news or, or the TV component.
6: Corinne, thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. And I'll talk to
2: you Always on fun. next Wednesday. Yep. <laughs> you betcha. As Corinne will join us for
6: entertainment
2: here on the program. And of course, check her on the Globe and Nails show. AMI audio is where you can find her uh, starting at 8 a.m. in the morning. We do this feature voices on the uh, third Tuesday of the month right here on Kelly and Rumya.
1: And we're going to take a quick break, come back and run through the end of the show with you. A closing moment and a lineup for tomorrow's edition of now with Dave Brown is on the docket. We'll be right back.
2: We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
1: for sticking around i say this because we're about to wrap in a few minutes the show is on its way out but before we go we got to get through some things with you starting with now with dave brown the wednesday morning edition at 9 a.m eastern time is available to you on ami tv live weekdays and the wednesday morning edition includes
2: the Invisible Artist Carnival is making its way across Nova Scotia. The Performance Art Collective, Other Hearts, will tell you all about it. Shiny Saravanamuthu describes some emerging trends this fall. And Emily Sheavers will share her experience with visual fatigue tomorrow starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv.
1: Some events, some personal experiences, and lots mm-hmm. of contributions and conversations coming your way at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, also, Now with Dave Brown is available on podcasts, so you can check him out wherever you listen to pods. And you can do the same with Kelly and Rumia. We have full shows available to you daily, and we have our segments posted out separately as well. So we'd like to end and wrap with a closing moment. I go through these weird fun facts. I have so many uh, different tabs open all the time. Just be like, what fun fact are we going to discuss today? And so I thought we would go with wasabi. I'm a fan of sushi, and so are you, Kels. Uh, wasabi, mm-hmm. most wasabi paste that we have with sushi is not real wasabi at all. <gasps> are you shocked? not really no the things that no. we learn about food not really that's no, no. like chai is, tea right most of yeah. the
2: chai tea we have isn't really the I know, chai it's like tea
1: coming that... in like a yeah a package of some sort like where's all the real spices anyway it's, it's,
2: it's like when you get the ho- ho- horse relish as horse like radish? a horse mustard or whatever horseradish. radish, what horse I horse radish? well sometimes <laughs> it comes mustard. off as horse relish well so no yeah but they do squeeze it as horse mustard you know yeah, you no. go some places there's no bits in it Mm-mm. anyway
1: It's like, yeah, relish and all that stuff. So wasabi is expensive, so most companies use horseradish instead, exactly what you said. And they say Mm -hmm. real wasabi is actually milder than what you've been getting with your sushi. Um, That may have made me like horseradish or wasabi a bit better instead of this really intense stuff that we get that I accidentally chew on all the time. But wasabi and horseradish, if you're wondering about the comparison, are different Plants from the same family, most of the so-called wasabi uh, sold outside of, or sometimes even within Japan, is simply regular horseradish root cut with green food coloring and, quote, other things. Other things is what concerns most of us, but the green food coloring, we're not surprised at all. Fake Might products. contain fake products exactly Uh, let's talk about tomorrow's lineup real quick Uh, join us at 2pm eastern time for tomorrow's edition where we're talking about audio describer JJ Hunt and his trip to Cappadocia Turkey lots of great landscapes to talk about there
2: Greg David stops by to talk about five Halloween themed TV shows or movies to check out
1: we're looking forward to all of it talk to you at 2pm eastern time
2: The irony when you do a show like ours is really incredible. We had Amy Amante on the program yesterday, Monday that is, depending when you're listening to this. Uh, We had Grant Hardy and we had Carol April, our community reporter. It was interesting for me because just these little things you find with the show when you get a crazy little theme like that, all of them out in British Columbia. Now, we'll often open the door for a topic. Sometimes it happens at the top of the show. Sometimes it grows within the show. And maybe we're asking a particular question of people. Hey, well, you know, what's your favorite cereal or, or or something like that? For some reason, we get on that. Sometimes a contributor brings that to us. Sometimes not. We we were giggling at Edmonton, uh, Alberta being the fastest speaking city in Canada. And we're going to look into that a little bit. Maybe bring someone on to talk about that at some point. Maybe we've done as much as we can. But you, you kind of have those themes that may be subtle little jokes through the show about it or you ask people the questions and a lot of that is unscripted folks it, you know we may in our pre-show meeting say hey <laughs> we can get on this or maybe we'll carry this through the show a little bit sure but a lot of time we get talking and one of us says something that makes us say hey you know what let's carry that on a little further or somebody comes on who is standing in the wings waiting to come on board one of our contributors and they say you know you guys were talking about this and i oh wow it's amazing And it's one of those things you get instantaneously with live. Greg David sends us a message saying, hey, Edmonton, they're the fastest speaking city in Canada. Oh, well, where do we go from there? Well, let's see what other little tidbits we have. Let's see if we get a story out of that. And, you know, you expect stuff like that maybe in Cut for Time or on our Thursday roundtable or or sometimes when Grant brings some of the stuff that we talk about with him uh, in, in our headlines. But it comes out of anywhere. Uh, a lot of time, nutrition. Uh, any of our food talks, of course, we'll carry stuff on from there because marrying them bring so much. It is incredible to do a show like ours because we're all over the map as it is. And then you have these different things that pop up. We carry them through a show and, and usually try to get rid of them. The key is knowing when to say that's enough. We've, we've flogged that for a while. Let's leave it. Um, and sometimes you just, you have to. Because, you know, the audience may not find it as enrichingly enjoyable or funny as you do. So sometimes we hit on that and we know, all right, done with that, leave it. Other times we need your indulgence as we beat it down too much and you're screaming at, telling us, quit it! Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for
1: blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us